Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Kara. Marler, today we have Debates Down South. We are talking the opposite of what we did a couple weeks ago. If you recall, a couple weeks ago, we did the SEC's most disappointing team of the 21st century. Right. And today, the polar opposite. The most surprising SEC team of the 21st century. And we're talking good surprises. Yeah. So not like... Not like 2016 Tennessee. That was just totally unpredictable. Those are all Connor's examples and Connor's words. Just in case you have not been on Twitter today, that is all Connor. No, that was our producer, Will, actually. That's a good point, yeah. With that. um, but we're talking surprising from the standpoint of preseason expectations and what they turned right. out to be. So that's that's the main thing that we're, that we're going to be discussing today. But, Marler, before we get into some SEC football-related stuff, Ooh, speaking of... Connor, all the documentaries that are coming out this summer about my city. Unbelievable. It's amazing. It's great. <laughs> I mean, I know that there hasn't been a lot of great uh, great things to come out of this quarantine, yeah. but I feel like that's been one of them, and they've pushed up the, the release dates for both of those two things. Yeah. Long Gone Summer, can we talk about it real quick for five minutes? Because both of, both of us, I think, have a lot of serious thoughts on this. And I admittedly yeah. wasn't watching this live, and I haven't seen the last I half hour. I don't understand you. Well, you were busy. I'd, I'm Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am not living in a... If I'm living in a in a single household, it's it's appointment viewing, and I'm, yeah. I'm building my day around it. I am not. I am a, 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 married, a married man who... Yeah. You know, I have, I have responsibilities and things that we, you know, we try and do to be able to set ourselves up for a week. Sunday is get everything done day. Yeah. So, because, you know, we're doing a lot of different stuff on Sunday. I didn't watch it until later. But you, my friend, were basically live tweeting it. And I got to yeah. say, in terms of the people who I saw on Twitter, you liked it as much as anyone. I really did. I don't understand. Like, we, I said this off air. I don't understand why Barstool, everyone at Barstool hated it. Um, I, there was so many, there was, so for, first off, we, we got up. And went to a, a like a protest march thing that we had planned for like a week or so, or like, or like maybe half a week. I don't know. Um, that was started in our neighborhood, and so we walked, and it was nine miles. It was eight point four six miles, but it was basically nine miles, and we walked. So I, I don't know if you know this, but like, I mean, I'm not in great shape. Anymore. I do know this. Okay, so like the walking of the miles was tough for me. I was very drained afterwards. At one point, I had to go pee, and I was like, I got stuck behind, so I had to jog up forward and find Allie. And it was, it was not great. It was not great for a lot of people. But anyway, regardless. So I got home, and I, we were just beat. So we were like, all we're doing today is watching stuff on television. We're going to watch the movies, and I can't wait for Long Gone Summer. And so for me, this was, I remember just being so infatuated with this. It, I was 12 when it came out, and I, I remember making the, I, I had two collages that I made that I kept every, like, magazine, every newspaper clipping, every picture that had come out in these different times, of both of them, and I made these two massive collages of both both Sosa and McGuire, like chronol like like what's it, chronicling? Is that a word? Chronological order? No, chron like like chronicling. Is that a word? I'm trying. Oh, chronicling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I okay. See what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so much confidence. I was like, where are you going? So with that? much confidence in that word, chronicling. Um, in, into the uh, we anyway. So I was just like super super passionate and excited about it, and I thought it was cool because and and then I saw all the responses were like. One, all these Gen Zers who like are twelve years old and don't remember any of this, and they think it's stupid. And then there's like all these other people who are like, "There's no drama. How come they didn't talk about the steroids?" And it was like, you know what? Honestly, and maybe this is again just me coming out of quarantine, Chris talking, where there's been no sports. It was just nice to see nostalgia, good memories, 
and how much yeah. fun that summer truly was. And I remember I talked to my buddy Jeff about it, who, by the way, at the hospital right now, about to have a baby. So congratulations to Jeff. Shout out Jeff. Congratulations. Um, shout out Lauren. She's doing all the hard work, but regardless. Um, so I, what we were talking about, and I was like, you know, he grew up in St. Louis. And so I know, and I want to ask your opinion on this as well. But I said, you know, you grew up in St. Louis. What was it like during this time? And he was like, I mean, St. Louis is a baseball city anyway. And as you know and hate. But like, um, it's it, like he said, like once it got to like June, it was everything was appointment viewing. Everything was, no matter what you do, if you were cutting the grass, if you're out shooting hoops with your buddies, if you guys were, if you had a game or whatever's going on, it's like the games are almost always in, like on every TV in the city. But then it became like, hey, McGuire's up. And you would stop whatever you're doing, run inside to see McGuire hit or his AB and all that kind of stuff. I, th- I thought it was great. Like, I, I mean, I, I, and also I have a very different stance on people that don't like steroids. I, I guess, or, or cheating. I just, I just, it, my opinion on this, and Allie and I have not seen eye to eye on this, especially because the Lance. Uh, Armstrong thing, which I still need to watch. By the way, I've been I've been recommended that from Phil Elson. Shout out, hit the line radio in Arkansas, who recommended that. But I need to I need to get on that one as well. But this was this was more of more yeah. important viewing for me for sure. I completely agree. And 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 I just I didn't understand why people hated Lance Armstrong so much anyway. Because it's like I mean you guys weren't that into cycling in the first place. So I don't know why you guys are so passionate. And yeah, he was an a-hole, but I had so much more respect. He's a liar. Yeah, yeah he was a, he's a big liar, time. but here's the thing. He's a big-time liar. I totally get that. Here's my thing. When 70% of your sport and your peers and your your competition is already doing this, and it's not the same for baseball, but it was about 50% from some reports of like people that were cheating in the sport of baseball, I get why you did it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I totally get why you did it. And that is coming from someone that... One t- twice took a shot of steroids. I didn't do a full cycling like that. I, I, I'm not saying it was the right decision, but I get why it happened. And I, I hate how all these people are like on this high horse about cheating. Like, bro, that is the most exciting time in baseball history. There was a quote in it, and I'm sorry to get on this whole high horse, and I do want to hear your opinion on this. But there was this, somebody, somebody said yesterday, they were like, you could argue, this is in the, in the doc, he's like, you could argue that the 98 home run race was more exciting than the 98 World Series. And I was like, oh, you mean when the Yankees played the Padres in Qualcomm Stadium and, and swept them 4-0? Yeah, bro, it was a lot more exciting than that. Like, baseball needed this, and it w- and cheating had been going on for over a decade. Don't get me started on Doc Ellis. Go ahead. <laughs> Love me some Doc Ellis. <laughs> there, are, there are multiple ways to look at this, I think. And I tried to, at the top of the doc when it says, look, the goal of this is to take you back to that summer mm-hmm. of 98 is to take you back to how fun that was. Because as somebody who experienced that, like I always say, kid, eight years old, I'm growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, and that summer is the reason I like baseball. Mm-hmm. Coming off of the Bulls dynasty where it's a month removed, you know, it's right when the Bulls had their championship parade, we, we transitioned immediately into the Cubs. And that summer was just unbelievable. And I remember even my dad, who my dad, you know, lifelong Cubs fan, grows up going to, going to the bleachers, on weekday afternoons when he's in college, he used to take my two cousins there all the time, yeah. and he would sneak in as early as possible, and he'd drink beers all day. <laughs> that Even my dad was buying Mark McGuire stuff because of how exciting it was. And because during that time, we just we wanted to be entertained yep. more than anything else. And we looked at sports in a much different lens in 1998 than we did in 2020. And part of that is because, you know, we looked at this like they were these superhero-like figures, right? You know, I I made the comparison earlier. 
When we watch Rocky IV, mm-hmm. does anybody care that Sylvester Stallone took steroids to look anything like Drago? Does Wait, anybody really care? He did that? Yeah, he definitely did. I didn't know. Um, that, that came out like not too long ago. Does anybody really care though? Because no. we look at that and we say, you know what? This is great entertainment. This is just two guys looking like gladiators yeah. battling it out. And that's how it felt with Sosa McGuire. And so there are people who, I get it, like, you look at a doc like that and you want to find out stuff that you didn't know before yeah. and you want to know, okay, why why was Major League Baseball, besides the obvious reason of they wanted the entertainment value, why did Major League Baseball cover this up so much? Why did they turn such a blind eye to it at a time when they should have been putting their foot down? I get that. I totally get that. But from the doc's perspective of just trying to take you back to a place that was incredibly fun yeah. and where it felt so innocent. And that was probably the last time in sports when we really felt really like we point. could just look at this with a totally non-skeptical perspective. And that's yeah. not to say that there were people who didn't look at McGuire and Sosa at the time and wonder, hey, is this all going to come out later that they, these guys were cheating and that they deceived us? And I get that. And there yeah. are people who are going to say that this deceived the game and that it actually it, it took the game back instead of bringing it back from the strike in 94. I get all that. I, uh, I don't. But, like, I, I get it from, from the critical standpoint. We look – this 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 doc coming out made me realize how much more we, we have changed our perspectives yeah. in 2020 compared to 1998 because – it was so fun then, and you could just kind yeah. of enjoy it, no matter who you were a fan of, no matter what. You're right that people enjoyed that more than they enjoyed the World Series. I'm a diehard Cubs fan, right. obviously, and I cared way more about that home run race than the fact that the Cubs had a tie-in game to get into the playoffs and they beat the Giants thanks to Gary Gaetti's fifth-inning home run. I didn't care about that, Where's despite Gary the fact Gaetti that. from? Is he from Stone Mountain? I'm pretty sure Gary Gaetti's from Stone Mountain. It's him or Wally Joyner, and I always mix them up. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Gary Gaetti went to went to Redan High School in. Uh, he's from Centralia, Illinois. Okay. I, I ah, my aunt lives in Centralia, Illinois. So very fun fact. It is about definitely that. Wally Joyner then. Um, yeah, that's. But like, we just look at things differently. Yeah. You know, that's that's that was my biggest takeaway. Is if you want to look at it from that standpoint, and you want to be frustrated, they didn't go more down the steroid road. That's cool, whatever, be be mad at that. But if you just wanted to take a step back and just enjoy it as a fan yeah. and just appreciate that the fact that watching home runs is really fun, <laughs> then then you know what? Just enjoy it and just try and try and put all that stuff aside for a second. So I watched I watched right beforehand and let's let's you know let's talk about this for a second. Because so I watched right beforehand, I watched the home run derby from ninety I watched it from two thousand and I got to go to that one. And in Atlanta, I, right? In Atlanta, yeah. Which I told oh, the story God, that was on incredible. I told he, Sosa hit one 545 feet to dead center field. Yeah. It, like, I, I remember sitting in left, down the left field line watching it, and I was like, it, it just kept going. It just kept going, and it just kept going. And I hate Chris Berman, but that's exactly what it was. It just was like back, back, back. back it was back, crazy. Back, 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 back. God, he's the worst. But, like, so, <laughs> and they had, like, the 99 home run derby. And like, like, I played baseball my entire life, and I don't understand baseball, to like, to the extent of some people. But I also understand it more so than I think some people than just the casual fan or somebody that played like like I don't know like just little league or something you know what I mean like it's like there's it's baseball's a hard sport it's not like I played it my whole life it's not something I, I want to watch every day on, on TV it's it's slow it's boring but there are so many little things going on in the world of baseball like in a game of baseball 
that make it so unique. And hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. And I jokingly said this last night, and you know I wasn't going to get onto a steroid topic without mentioning that I did 22 pull-ups one time because I love <laughs> to bring it up. But I'm saying, I've heard that like 50 <laughs> times. I know. But see, the thing is, and, and I, I, I said it last night too, is like, like jokingly because like hitting a baseball with a, a round ball, round bat, hitting it square is the hardest thing to do in sports. And a ni- this, is, this is all science. A 90-mile-an-hour fastball, the human body and the human eye or whatever, you have, you have 0.4 seconds to react. On a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, you have 0.4 seconds to react to hit the ball. That is incredibly difficult to do, okay? Especially if a wood bat and you don't have great bat speed and you're a Division II baseball player. I'm just saying from experience right now. But these people, like, like the, I, what I jokingly said last night was, yeah, I did steroids once and all I did was, like, the only thing I was good at was pull-ups. Like, hitting a baseball is still really hard. So to be that upset about all these people, and, like, everyone's doing it, like, get out of here. Like, get off your high horse. Let's just enjoy it for what it was. And I think, like, there's, a, like, a certain writer for Yahoo that made a comment about it. I'm not going to say who it was, but he was like, give me a break. Like, this person. Pat Forty's for Sports Illustrated, by the way. He's for Sports Illustrated? And, That's by the way, Pat Forty's one of the smartest fans in baseball because he's a Cardinals fan, and he will uh-huh. never call out anything Cardinal-related. But, you know, if it's Sammy Sosa talking about it. I don't What are you sure talking? I give you, I give you blank because, hold on, well. I don't, you know, it's early in the show. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna have another bad word yet later, so I'm gonna save it. But no, I, I give you crap because it's because I because I love you and Sammy Sosa. It's, well, who cares? I'm not giving. I'm not. I don't dislike Sammy Sosa. I just I like no, giving I, you a hard time. But no, no, but, I, I don't really care. I yeah. mean, that that's up to me. Even as somebody who rooted very much for the Cubs, yeah. You know, you knew it's you knew what Sosa was, and that was someone who. Uh, over the course of time, burned a lot of bridges in right. Chicago. He's obviously still not welcome back there. But that's crazy. I, I, I know, and it's. He said he wouldn't go back unless I got a new owner. The whole boombox thing that happened right before, right before he just didn't show up on that last day of the season. Yeah, bad luck. See, I don't know. Around. I don't know all the, uh, all the not stuff. Good. Yeah, not great. Um, but for so many people that are listening to this right yeah. now, who are kind of in our age range, how many things? Before you turned, before you got to high school, yeah. let's say, how many things really made you go? You know what? This is why I love sports. Yeah, that summer is a peak example. No matter, even though yes, we can sit here and we can condemn the steroid stuff, and we could say the Hall of Fame discussion. Maybe that should be separate. Yeah. Or they should have an asterisk, whatever. But we can just sit here and say yes. We were super entertained, and that was really fun, and it takes us back to a good place in life. I agree. There's, and there's so many few things that happen. Like, you have the Olympics, you have the World Cup that are that come every four years where people are wanting to be united, wanting to be a part of something, wanting like to have this, like, this form of, or this, like, this feeling of, like, community when you're watching sports, even though it doesn't, it's, like, not something that you think about every day, every week, or even a sport you even care about except for once every four years. Baseball isn't necessarily like that, but this kind of stuff in baseball definitely is in terms of, like, I, I'm a kid in Atlanta, Georgia, and I, I'm I'm watching it. It's not just Chicago and, like, I, I couldn't remember, I didn't remember, like, half of those games besides, like, the finals with, with in the Jordan dock. You know what I mean? Because, like, it did, that didn't affect me so much, but this really brought, like, everyone together for an entire summer. It was awesome. It was awesome. That was, you know, yeah. by the way, that was a Tuesday night game. That was a Tuesday night game where he hit, he hit 62. Like, you tell me how many people are watching a Tuesday night baseball game that's being broadcast nationally on Fox. And almost every single Saturday, the Cubs were on, like, the Saturday afternoon game on Fox. It was awesome. On Fox, yeah. 
I'll never forget watching that game because it was on, it was also on my brother's birthday, and we got oh. to stay up late to watch it that night as well. And in our household, watching that in my family room, I will never ever forget yeah. that. And I couldn't believe that that line drive made it out. But a fascinating subject, and everybody says nothing to do with college football, and yeah. it's nothing to do with the title of the podcast. So for those of you who are like, just get with the debate. Already. Yeah, let's talk about Alabama. <laughs> before we do that, before we do that, Marler. First, tell us about our friends at Bet Online. Guys, get over to Bet Online. You know, we're having a football season and we have like 76 days, 75 days? 75 it's days. a little more. 75 it? days. It's, it's 75 days. It's 82 until oh, SEC to, yeah. football. <laughs> so make sure you get over to betonline.ag today because, listen, I'm telling you right now, you're going you're gonna to miss this. I don't want to quote Trace Atkins, but you're going to miss gambling on. Malaysia I've heard him perform that song live. It's good. Gross. It's real good. I got my game on. Um, Trace Atkins is unreal. Anyway, I'll tell you what's not a travesty to American music, and that is the sweet sound of money. Uh, so get on over to betonline.ag today. Go play some poker. I'm playing right now. Just kidding, Connor. I'm not. But I am perusing the games. they got games on all day. They've got table tennis. You can bet on Korean baseball. Have you bet on Korean baseball yet? Still no. Still no. All right. You know, one of these days we're going to get you, brother. So get on over to betonline.ag before Connor does, uh, and we will, I don't know, we'll talk about it later, I guess. How much money I won. I definitely thought you were going to say, if you heard the sweet sound of honky tonk, badonka donk. Oh, my God. And you didn't go there. You did go there, which I give you credit for. I give you credit. I will never forget in my entire life when he came out. Trace Atkins used to be a a pretty good country music singer, and then. 2007 happened, and he's like, you know what, brother? Bedazzle these jeans. I got something to say. And then I don't know oh, what happened. Oh, he still wears those a lot. I'm sure too. he does. I think, so. I think he does. <laughs> All right. Why is this a debate? Why should we be talking about this today? I think that there are a lot of different candidates, and I think that it makes for it, – it's it forces us to look at preseason expectations yeah. relative to what happened for a specific team. And I think that's fun to look back on, whether we're talking about disappointing teams or we're, or we're talking about surprising teams as we are today. So, what, this is going to frustrate you. What it does is it really you. makes us look bad as the media because we got a lot of stuff wrong. We get stuff wrong all the time. You know what? Time. It happens. If we all had a crystal ball, life would be a lot easier. It wouldn't True. be as fun. That's, that's what I say. So, I said a couple of things that I, that I want to... I wanted to get out there before we go into each one of these teams, as always. So, because if you want to just say surprising team, you can go in a lot of different directions with that. Right, right. But I try to limit myself to teams who started off unranked and finished in the AP top 10. Okay. Again, whenever whenever we're talking about rankings here, it's it's AP unless we, we say otherwise. Or they won a national title after starting the season outside of the top 15. Now, so that includes 2010. I wanted to include 2010 Auburn, but I also think that that accomplishment is noteworthy because yeah. only two teams in college football have done that since 1991. The other was 2000 Oklahoma. So that's okay. that's why it's I would still consider that rare. And that's like, yeah, it's not necessarily you know going from a winless SEC season to all of a sudden winning a national championship. But at the right. same time, it's still surpassing expectations to a certain extent. Now, the problem is that those criteria take out a few teams that I think that I think at least some people would have brought up. Okay. So 2019 LSU, I saw I saw people want to bring that up as well. A surprise team, but is it my first thought when I think of yes, that's a team that 
they, they just blew me away in terms of what I thought relative to preseason expectations. Because if you start off number six in the country and you win a national championship, yeah. yes, I, like I get it. They, they were way better than what we thought they would be, but they were still number six in the country to start the year. Uh-huh. So that's part of it. 2014 Mississippi State and 2018 Kentucky. That's that's a tough one right there. Okay. If I'm doing a ranking, they are competing. They're, they wouldn't make the top four, but they'd probably be five and six, and they would be ahead of two of the teams that I'm going to mention in this discussion. Okay. But they did not make the qualifier because they did not finish in the top ten. Here's the one thing that, like, because... They both absolutely have a case to be made. 2014 Mississippi State, as we know, got to number one in the country after starting off unranked, yeah. but then lost three of four down the stretch in 2018 Kentucky. Josh Allen, Benny Snell, we all remember that. That's not very long ago. Here's the one thing I'll say, though, about each of those two teams besides that criteria that they didn't meet. The best underdog or the best surprise team of the SEC in the 21st century should probably have a better improvement of two regular season wins. Okay, I agree that, that. That's what Kentucky had. And then Mississippi State, if we're talking about you know a team that, that reaches a certain peak during the season, mm-hmm. yes, it, it absolutely would be there. But you lose three or four to end the season, and suddenly that confirmation bias sets in. Both yeah. of those teams had multiple moments in which confirmation preseason confirmation bias was confirmed. And so that, to me, makes it a little bit tougher to say that they're definitively the number one team. They're maybe one or two more wins away from being one or two probably overall in this discussion. Right. But that's why I didn't include them in this goal to find the number one. Okay. That's fair. I okay. like. I think you're going to be mad at that. No, no, I, I think it's fine. I think those two are uh, – my, my, my pick wouldn't have been – from either one of those. And I went a little di- different route than your parameters that you always set that are so stingy and ridiculous. But um, that being said, I, I like, I, so the 2018 Kentucky team, it's hard to put them in. I, I didn't, like, I, I wanted to put them in as my pick at first, and then I didn't want to, and then I want to again because of what happened today on Twitter with like Tennessee and Kentucky, like the back and forth about how like, you know, don't get petty. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get petty. I'm just saying it, it like, I hate that Mark Stoops doesn't get enough credit for being a great coach. However, I think that kind of putting him on the most surprising list in Kentucky in general, and hear me out here, Kentucky fans, I think it's almost more of a disservice to put Kentucky on there because mm. we have such a low expectation and like low ceiling that we unfairly set for Kentucky every single year that it's, it's hard for them to ever do anything but overachieve if they almost get to eight wins or more. It, it's like, yeah. it's really, and I hate to say that, and that's our own fault as the media, but I mean, I remember saying it last year, and it actually finally came true, where it was like, I'm going to pick Kentucky to beat South Carolina. And then I remember saying, and I said it before the season, and I was like, this is really dumb, because, I mean, Kentucky has owned South Carolina. They've beaten them five years in a row. And, and what Coach Stoops said last year on this podcast was, I mean, like, what guys are you gonna are you going to tell us that aren't good enough now? Or what, what was it? The exact quote. Yeah, again. he's like, so you're going to tell us that that we have all these guys to replace, and then you know we're we're just going to come out with guys who by the middle of the year you're going to be talking about how irreplaceable they are, right? And that's that's how it always works yeah. in Kentucky. It's like you know what, just and that's what I kept saying last off season was, let's just trust Mark Soups to figure it out. Yeah, and trust him when he tells us. Yeah, I've got a bunch of guys who are ready to step up, and as we saw last year, that proved to be the case, and that could fuel what preseason right. expectations are for them in 2020. And so when you look at a team like 
like Kentucky, who let's let's again look at that season where they go they win ten games, they beat a very good Penn State team in a New Year's Day bowl, have the most wins they'd had since nineteen seventy seven. They lose to Georgia, who was a better football team. They lose to AM, who I'm not convinced was a better football team, but got them in overtime in a home game on the road. I'd take Kentucky in a neutral site right. that year. They lose to Tennessee and give all the credit in the world to Tennessee. Give mm-hmm. all the credit in the world to Tennessee for beating them because that was not a good Tennessee football team. They had a lot of talent, but they were not a good Tennessee football team. Actually, they didn't have that much talent. But regardless, that's a Kentucky team. And I, I'm, I'm all, I, Tennessee fans, hear me out. I'm, I'm giving a, aster- not an asterisk, but like I'm, I'm giving a, like a yeah, but to it because they were coming off that loss to Georgia. All the stuff and goals they had in front of them about, like, if we can win this game, we can still get to Atlanta, win the SEC. That all went away. It was the division title game that yeah, they played in Lexington. Exactly. And so they lose the division title game, and they go they go to Knoxville next, and they have to overcome this hurdle. Like, you know, it's basically, like, for them, it's like playing Florida like after, after that. Like, it's a team that's beaten you forever, and it's just a tough situation to overcome. So, again, give all the credit to World Tennessee, but I understand why they lost that game. I think that, te- that team was great. The Mississippi State thing is from August – to November, the greatest come or the greatest underdog story in the SEC in my entire lifetime. Not yeah. just since 2000, mm-hmm. but my entire lifetime from from August to two th- or to to November. That is the greatest rags to riches ag- against all odds story ever. And then they had to go to Tuscaloosa, but that's why I wouldn't have them on here because you're right, man. Like the confirmation bias did kind of play out, and they lost to Ole Miss, which is like. If they win the Egg Bowl, they they're they're at least they're they're at least finishing in the top ten. They have yeah. a much better chance of finishing in the top five. They would have essentially had, uh, not quite this, but it would have been similar to twenty thirteen Mizzou. Yeah, in a way, Mizzou that team finished number five in the country mm-hmm. and suffered two losses. But obviously, like Mizzou got to play in the SEC championship, so maybe that's not an exact comp. But I agree in that you could say a lot of those things about Mississippi State that year and say, why aren't they a surprise team? But I just tend to think if we're trying to figure out the number one, the number one, that has to be taken into account. Losing three of your final four games like that and having a lot of that, oh, yeah, you know, I guess they – their, their upside, it was it was there, but it wasn't quite maybe as what we thought it right. was at certain points during the year. Yeah, agreed. So, all right, let's get to... Uh... I've got six. Here's the list. Here are the people who, who, who fit those those two qualifiers. We've got 2005 Alabama, started unranked, finished number eight in the country. We've got 2010 Auburn, who started number 22 and won a national title, obviously. We've got 2012 Texas A&M, who... We've done a lot of talking about on it, just spent more, uh, who started unranked and finished number five in the country. 2013 Mizzou, as I just mentioned, started unranked, finished number five in the country. We've got 2013 Auburn, who started unranked, of course, finished number two in the country and lost in the national championship to Florida State. And then we've got 2018 Florida, who started unranked and finished number seven. Now, if there are a couple of those teams that made you say, no, they don't deserve to be part of this discussion. Right. Hear me out. Hear me out as, as we talk about them. And I'm not definitively saying that they are better than those two examples that I brought up earlier of 2014 Mississippi State and 2018 Kentucky. What about 2017 Georgia? I didn't 2017 do enough research. Georgia, 2017 Georgia is decent, but the problem is that they were preseason pick to win the division, if and I'm they, not mistaken. Okay, and they so, they were ranked, too. They were they're ranked in the top fifteen to start the year. Yeah, oh, they definitely were not unranked. I will yeah. say, so 
And maybe for me and Georgia fans, I mean, like, I don't know if, if you want to hit that button that slows things down on the podcast. So I'm talking at half my speed. Do it because you're going to want to like you're going to really want to enjoy this moment. I'm talking very highly of your program. Maybe I remember it being more unexpected because Jake Fromm has to come in first start of his career, go yeah, to the South Bend, and you have this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That was an incredible year, and it was surprising because nobody expected him to get that far with what was going on. Yeah, but they did. That's it, that's fair. That's yeah. definitely fair. I, I, I think relative to preseason expectations, with some with with a lot of those guys that they had coming back, where you've got Michelle yeah. and Chubb back for their senior year, you've got. High expectations for guys like Roquan Smith as well. That team was expected to be much better than what yep. Kirby Smart dealt with in year one. Um, Let's get to what the first people, example. What people said at the time. So two ways that we're going to split this up. We've got why we thought that they wouldn't be good, and we've got why they were much better than we thought they'd be. So we're going in chronological order here. Yep. 2005 Alabama. Why people thought that they why, – why we, rather – thought that they wouldn't be good. That 2005 Bama team, as you know, 6-6 six and six the previous year, finished six the year... 6-7. 6-7, my bad. 6-6 six and six in the regular season. Finished 3-6 and six after Brody Croyle tore his ACL. Had the worst passing attack in Power 5 in 2004. They averaged less than a touchdown pass a game. They averaged point awful. Pretty bad, pretty bad. And Brody um, Croyle, everyone understand, Brody Croyle was the savior of this program. Brody Croyle had them long Bama bangs. He had a rocket arm, and he was going to save this program. And that we had the worst passing attack in Power Five. He is still, I think, you'd have to pull up twenty four seven Sports. Don't you dare! I think he's still in the top three or four yeah. on all time Bama recruits. Yeah, isn't that amazing? With, to with think good about? reason. Yeah, he he was between Bama and Florida State and from Rainbow City, and he was. I mean, I I remember, I I went back and rewatched this like about a year and a half ago. I think actually, I remember his very first snap where he we, we were playing at Oklahoma in 2002 and he came out on the field and it was like the, they were going to bring him out and he was going to get his first chance to, like to, to to play or whatever and he threw like he threw like a like a, a, a six yard like stop or dig route or something like that to the, like the outside hash at about 110 miles an hour and I remember Love all of it. us were like oh my god and and my dad was like <laughs> that is the single hardest football I've ever seen thrown in my life and keep in mind <laughs> It was thrown a minimum three feet over the head and behind the receiver. And we were like, oh, my God, rewind it. Rewind the play. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It was like, remember like <laughs> Bo Wallace when Bo Wallace yes. threw that ball? What was that, 2014? Brody Croyle was just a slightly more accurate Nick Fitzgerald that couldn't run as well. That's all, that's all Brody Croyle was. I'm, not, I'm kidding. He was great. Jeez. I, I um, so still expectations – Going into that year, we're relatively, relatively pedestrian. Now, part of that being it's year three of the Maishula era. First two years hadn't finished ranked. Uh, the SEC schedule looked somewhat daunting. Not as daunting as some of the others on this list, but you had number three Tennessee, who, as we outlined before, arguably the most disappointing SEC team yeah. of the 21st century. You had number 10 Florida, first year of the Urban Meyer era. You had number five LSU. You had number 16 Auburn, who, by the way, was coming off of that undefeated season. So the schedule looked like it was going to be good. And Alabama, to their credit, was actually ranked number 24 in the coaches poll in the preseason. They just weren't ranked in the AP poll. So they're predicted to finish third in the West behind LSU and Auburn, both of whom they still lost to that year. Okay, that's so unnecessary. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to. 
I'm just trying to trying to make people understand, uh-huh. you know, relative to preseason expectations. If we're going to talk about whether or not a team, you know, wildly surpassed what we thought yeah. was possible, that that's important to at least note because that Tennessee team, as we know, based on that six to three game, was not not nearly the team that we thought it was going to be. This entire season was one of my favorite seasons, and like in my in like as a like a Bama fan, because it was it was so unexpected. And and what people forget, there's two there's two things off this team that people forget. And I, I stand by this. He would not have won the Heisman, but he would have I, I, I firmly believe he would have been a Heisman finalist was Tyrone Prothrow. And he mm-hmm. was such a huge impact on the team in, in a good way and in a bad way, which was not in a bad way, but like when we lost him. But um this entire season becomes nothing. Becomes nothing. If it's not for Tyrone Prothrow making that catch against Southern, Southern Miss. Miss. And people forget that catch wasn't just a freak catch. It was fourth and 12 at the end of the first half, and Bama was losing 21 to 10. And he goes up and makes this unbelievable all-time catch and brings it's Bama back into the game. It's one of the best game. catches in history. It is. Yeah. It, it, but that's the second game of the season. And that game, again, that's, that entire season doesn't happen, in my opinion, if he doesn't make that catch because they don't come back from that game. They're, I mean, they're, they're down mm-hmm. the half. They were doing nothing in the first half. And then all hell broke loose in a positive way in that Florida game. And I, I will never forget sprinting home. I've told this story on the podcast before. Sprinting home from practice. Our apartment is literally in the same complex as the baseball facility. Didn't change. Sprinting home in my spikes, metal cleats, running up the stairs. Get Addie up and she was not. She was not that. there because I was in college. But I was. Ooh. I'm like I'm sprinting up at our, our apartments on like the third floor, Bobcat Village, Milledgeville, Georgia. Get up there, open the door, and as soon as I do, I hear and here we go. We're underway in Tuscaloosa, and they kick off and, and they and they go. And the first play from, on offense, Bama throws an 87 yard touchdown on a go route to Pro Throw, and it was like, oh my god, it like here we go. It's gonna be awesome. He breaks his leg, and then that becomes what people forget. What people forget after this, Alabama scored one offensive touchdown against SEC opponents in the next calendar month with, without crazy. him. They now they went three and zero. They didn't score a single. They scored one offensive touchdown in a full calendar month in without him against SEC opponents. So why Bama was better that year than we thought they'd be? It helps when you have the number one defense in America. As you know, when you can't score touchdowns, oh you need somebody that can help you out in that department. But other than the Tyrone Pro Throw injury, they didn't get decimated in the same way that they did in 2004, which helped. Being able or to 19. stay relatively healthy. Yeah. Um, Brody Croyle being able to stay healthy for that team uh, mattered to a certain extent because yeah. he was a guy who did not turn the ball over. If that was his claim to fame, uh, you know, not the worst thing in the world. I don't. I, I, I hate using game manager. He wasn't a game manager. He had an incredible arm. I hate arm. using that. A very, very good arm. Yeah. But somebody who just wasn't going to make those mistakes for you. Only had four interceptions this year. They had the fewest turnovers of any Power 5 team in the country. Really? Only had 47 penalty yards per game. That was 20th best in FBS that year as well. We get all the calls. And, and I mean, like... So they were, they were good because, obviously, they had more talent probably than what we gave credit for coming back on that on that defense. D'Amico Ryans, obviously. And also, this is probably the biggest thing. Let me and gloat. This, <laughs> this, this happens 
sometimes if you see those dramatic year-to-year turnarounds, and we're, we're going to talk about 2013 Auburn, that Alabama team in 2005 went 4-1 in games decided by single digits after the previous year, it was 0-3. So, you say football's has... a game of inches sometimes. Something like that, when it flips in your favor, yeah, that's that's partially why you have yeah. turnarounds like this. And maybe this wasn't my favorite season. Maybe just the Florida game was my favorite season. Just that one game was a season was in itself. See, your team has won national title after national yeah, title. That was what not, are you talking so, about? I, I remember I got to go to the South Carolina game because we didn't have practice that day. So I got to go, I got to go see that in Columbia, which was awesome. Um, you know, and they, and they, so, but the, and I can't stress this enough, the Florida game, we were 19th. It says on here on Wikipedia, we were 15th. They were 19th in the country and Florida was, I thought they were third and, and they beat them 31 to three. And it was one of the greatest games, I think for Bama fans in history, because it was, no one expected Bama to beat Florida. I, I remember, I'm going to shout out my buddy, George Simpson, who's the track and field or cross country coach at Hammond uh, the Hammond School, I guess, in um, in Columbia, South Carolina. I remember him calling me the night before the game, and he goes, I just want to let you know that if you're not scared, you should be. Because there is an absolute battalion of four and five stars on their way to Tuscaloosa tomorrow. And blah, blah, blah. It was this whole thing. And I was like, oh, my God. And then we ended up winning. But the following games, you talk about the single digits, Connor. They beat Ole Miss 13 to 10. They beat Tennessee 6-3. to Do you know how they won both of those games? This is going to blow your mind and everyone's listening's mind. Do you know how they won those games? Well, they won in tennis, against Tennessee with a walk-off field goal. They won against Ole Miss with a walk-off field goal and Tennessee. Oh, both of them. They won both two games that season by, by walk-off field goals, guys. Think about that for a second. It was awesome. And then times. they played so they played Mississippi State. I remember they won 17 nothing and all 14 points were scored on defensive touchdowns. And then everything kind of fell off and they lose to LSU and they lost to Auburn and I'm pretty sure you me every single person that played on Auburn's defense and Tuberville that season actually I think if I'm looking at the stats correct all sacked Brody Coyle in that game. So there you go. I had two and a half sacks. <laughs> Perfect. I was on one t- that day. Speaking of Auburn, 2010 Auburn. Mm. Yeah, we go from talking about probably Marler's favorite team ever to maybe your it's least, my favorite, least favorite, team favorite season ever. ever yeah, yeah. Uh, why people thought they wouldn't be good? Now, people thought Auburn would be pretty good. They were preseason number 22, but you're coming off a season in which you're three and five in the SEC. They had lost five of their last six SEC games. Now. Cam, everybody knows what happened, you know, with the recruitment and all the big deal. Let me me tell you what happened. I'm kidding. It's fine. Everybody knows how important it was that Auburn got him. But still, even though he's the number three Juco recruit overall in the country, it's still a relative unknown. We're still talking about somebody who hadn't started a Power 5 game. (laughs) I looked up this... uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, when you do a lot of this research about stuff that's like, you know, from 10 years old or 20 years old, you'll get like Bleacher Report stuff. And there was a Bleacher Report column from 2010 that had Cam. Oh, I have no idea. Uh, It's not one of their like current writers or anything like that. Um, It had Cam as the number six quarterback in the SEC. Okay. Want to take a guess of the five quarterbacks who who were ranked ahead of him? Greg McElroy. That's one. John Brantley. S2. Uh, Aaron Murray? No. Couldn't have been Aaron Murray. No. Um, so who was at? I guess Jordan Jefferson. Yep. Um, this is fun. Hold on, let me let me keep thinking here. Ryan Mallett. No, he was 2011. Yep. yep oh, yep, Ryan Mallett. Yep, okay, that's, okay, so that's four. There's one more, and there's you're not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I mean, don't don't. I can give don't. you a big hint. 
Is it Jordan Rogers? No, no, no. He wasn't there yet. Um, hold on. Don't tell me. Oh, is it Steven Garcia? Yeah. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but here's the thing. So I remember, I remember being so consumed with this season because I, I would read Bleacher Report a lot. There was some Auburn guy who was like the lead writer because at the time it was like, it, it was. What's the best way to put this? It was, it was like the way Joseph A. Banks did a sale. It, they would be like, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna comment on something, you get to write three articles for free at Bleacher Report. It was just like, they would just add in all this extras and anybody could write for them. It was ridiculous. Oh, buy one, get one, suit, yeah. get three free at Joseph A. Bank. Yeah, yeah here's a small there. child you can adopt. It's like, it, it, they, there's just so many things they threw in there. So they had, um, with, uh, what do you call it? With like, like Bleacher Report, I remember reading all these and people were like, this one Auburn writer, and I can't remember his name, but my dad really hated him. Um, but he was like, they, they, they would write, he would write stuff and he's like, Cam Newton is going to run this type of offense. And I'm telling you right now, it was all really bad writing, okay? And it was like, I'm telling you right now, if he can get 20% of an increase on this versus this, and it was this whole weird thing. He was like, sounded like he was smart, but he was like just going in circles, alluding to nothing. And then it all came up to be true. I didn't get mm, it. Yeah. This he guy actually was pretty smart then. No, he was not. Cam, though, so I say those expectations were... I'd say more unknown than anything else. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit wait and see. Herb Street, however, went on record before the start of the year and said that the Iron Bowl is going to decide the SEC West. And he said that the sky is the limit for Cam. Herb Street was all in on Cam. And I, I, I remember there were other enough, people. their entire motto that year, Connor. Yes, yes. As we know from our good buddy Chizik. Um, speaking of Chizik. He's another part of this unknown mm-hmm. because to this point he had he's entering year four as a power five head coach. Two of those years were at Iowa State. This was year two at Auburn. He had never had a winning conference record. This was an Auburn team that starting off at number 22 in the country, they had started better in six of the last seven years. I mean that that's yeah. So starting off at number 22 for Auburn is is nothing. That's not getting right. people fired up all of a sudden. I was surprised they made the list because of it. Yeah, their, I mean, their odds to win the national title were only twenty to one, which is like doesn't sound that good, but that's not that low. All things speak, like like they were, they weren't like that far off the radar. You know what I mean? But you had three SEC West teams who were ranked ahead of Auburn. Yep. In the preseason AP, and part of that being because we had these very very high expectations, obviously, mm-hmm. for twenty ten Alabama coming off of that national championship. And what was returning in the division was still very, very good. Arkansas fans remember how that that 2010 team was supposed to unfold. And it was just, Auburn wasn't one of those teams that was at the forefront of that conversation. It was eh, maybe maybe sneaky good. Well, maybe can upset one of those teams. But are they going to beat LSU? Right. Are they going to beat Alabama? Are they going to beat Arkansas? Those things were still very much up in the air. And the thing was, with, with Auburn was, first off, they had... Across their cross division game was against South Carolina, right? Mm, like yeah. they, so they played them and Georgia, and they got both. Of, they did play a lot of home games that year, but but the thing was, like, I, I, listen, I know I've I've hated on 2010 Auburn a bunch and, and Cam that whole season because as like a fan, there's nothing to say about that team outside it was one of the most incredible seasons to watch unfold in the history of college football because. And and I would this one's hard like it didn't meet my criteria for why I had this spoiler this is not my my pick but not because of how how it's not mine either so okay good so like how it wasn't it wasn't like it has nothing to do with how great it was to watch the season unfold because each and every week and you have it here in the notes they were seven and zero in one score games right 
Seven and zero. It seemed like every single week they should have lost, at least in my opinion, at the time, because I was like, all right, so it's like close game against against uh, South Carolina. It's like, well, they won't they won't be able to pull that off next week. Close game against Clemson, win that one. Close game against so and so. So it just eat in each week they kept. You just look up and they're undefeated and they're undefeated and they're undefeated. Cam Newton. I think one of the big reasons people doubted them was not because of Cam Newton at all, but besides him and, and Nick Fairley, there was not a lot of talent on that team. I'm glad you brought that up because this is, that, this is something that I actually think fuels the preseason talk as well. Think about Auburn having this year where we saw what LSU after this past year, you go undefeated, yeah. how many of those guys that we had no idea were going to leave early mm-hmm. go to the NFL. This team, which went undefeated, Undefeated. <laughs> had Cam go in the first round, Nick Fairley go in the first round, having one of the best SEC defensive seasons of the 21st century, and you can't tell me otherwise, he had 24 tackles for loss. He should have been really, arrested really in the Georgia game, but yes, other than that, he was great. <laughs> Not the main point. <laughs> Fair. You had those two guys, and then you had a seventh rounder, despite yeah. all of that time in the national spotlight, and that's it. Was the so seventh in terms rounder of Darby like, Adams? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Was it? I'm not sure. But think about that. You have all that time on the national stage, and sometimes you'll just see guys get drafted in the fourth or fifth round from a national championship team, and you're like, "Ah, were they that good? Were they that good? And that that kind of suggests to me, like, look, we weren't necessarily, like, underestimating the amount of talent on this Auburn team, and that's why – if there were pedestrian expectations, it kind of makes sense. Why? Because it's not like you had a bunch of guys who were showing up in mock drafts and stuff, yeah. and you're feeling like, oh, yeah, like this guy is showing up in the first round, and he's going to, you know, it was different. And even after they had this year that surpassed expectations, it still was like, oh, yeah, well, they surpassed expectations because of Cam. And they were much better than we thought they'd be in large part because of Cam and then because they had a defense that was by no means like an elite SEC God, defense. But in the fourth quarter, they figured it out. They would always do that. They would always figure it out. They averaged like 3.7 points allowed per yeah. fourth quarter. And they were a team that that combination with Cam taking over in the second half, as he so often did, and that defense, which was number nine in the country defending the run, right. it was a really, really good combination. And that's why they kept winning all these one-score games. I tell you what, I, I made the – I made the God, this is going to be a long episode. That's my fault. That's okay. Um, so my – my I made I made the, like the comment. And I, I've, I've said this in the past, admittedly. I've, I've said in the past I've made the comment against this team. They're like, oh, they should have lost to this team. They should have lost to this team. Or And I thought at the time they were going to lose to the, like South Carolina. They were going to lose to Clemson. They were going to lose to whoever. But, like, they didn't. I just said it for the Bama thing. It was like, you know, they, they lost pro throw and they, they had to eke by this game and this game. Going undefeated, as Coach Chiswick told us, is hard. Is yeah. really hard. And I think if if you watch, for like any of your teams, you guys know, like in watching college football in general, it's so hard to go undefeated. So they're really, it's. I, I've said this for such a long time. Like it was a knock for some reason about this Auburn team about how, well, yeah, they, they eat by like all these close games. It's honestly way more impressive now as like a mature person, <laughs> like looking at this this team because. At some point, you would think it is like they keep eking out these wins. They're not going to be able to get lucky, quote unquote. No, they found a way to win each and every single week. That national championship game, they found yeah. a way to win. Michael, Michael Dyer didn't go down. They found a way to get this first down. They found a way to have a comeback in Tuscaloosa. All those games, they were able to do that, and 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 they did. They really did so at a time when 
not just Bama fans, but I felt like SEC fans, for the most part, were like, they're they're not that good. They're going to lose, and kind of rooting against them, against all odds. It was really impressive. History isn't really going to highlight the fact that this team did the little things yeah. better than what we probably gave them credit for. Yeah. And because think about how many times during that year when Cam is getting all this attention and Cam is taking the college football world by storm and everybody's like, it's just Cam and, and everyone else. Right. It's the Camats, whatever you want to call it. I and I, nobody said that. Okay. But, <laughs> but if you wanted to, think about the egos. You're dealing with 18 to 22-year-old kids here yeah. and like how that could have impacted them Where when Chizik is, is like, hey, yeah, we're, we're turning the offense over to Cam right now at halftime. We need you to go take over this game and how right. that team could have could have folded and could have had a blemish at a variety of different points. So I do think that 2010 Auburn, a team that significantly surpassed our expectations, yep. thanks in large part to a certain Cameron Newton being at the center of all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, another team who surpassed expectations and surprised all of us because of a quarterback who came out of nowhere, 2012 Texas A&M. Why people thought they wouldn't be good. Okay, year one in the SEC. We've done a lot of A&M on Adjustment More. Yeah, I know that. They replaced their first-round quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, with who? Like a redshirt freshman? That's okay. All right. Ryan Tannehill. Um, good God. Ryan Tannehill, yeah. So they're coming off of this seven-win season. It's year one of the Kevin Sumlin era. He hasn't been at the Power 5 level as a head coach. You've got an A&M secondary that's, 109 against the pass, and they just lost their entire secondary. And they were picked to finish fifth in the SEC West. They did not get a single vote to win the SEC. They were one of six teams in the SEC that did not get a vote yep. to win the conference. Everybody gets a vote to win the conference, it seems like. There's that one random person who's like, yeah, Mississippi State, this is the year that they're winning the conference. I right. swear that, that wasn't me. I swear. I swear. <laughs> um, but then even if you just look in the division, 2012, you had, coming into that season, Bama's at number two, LSU's at number three. By the way, those teams just played in the game of the century. You have Arkansas at number 10, and you have Auburn at number 25. And as we know, that Auburn season did not turn out nearly as well as they could have hoped for. But all that talent in the division, and we're talking about an A&M team that hadn't finished in the top 10 since 1994. Right. So all of those things kind of suggest, yeah, you know what? We shouldn't have the, that high of expectations for A&M. Well, Do you remember sh- what it was like when they came into the conference and thinking like, yes, that's a good program, but in terms of like the 2012 season, never. Eh, it might take a little while. I never thought of A&M at exactly. all. It, yeah, it, like it, they, I, remember, I remember the first game against Florida being in A&M. And watching it, and I was like, oh, they might have something here. This is a little bit interesting. Because game day was there, yeah. Yeah, game day was there, and, and and I remember watching that game, but it was like, and I think Manziel rolled out like on a bootleg and scored one touchdown or something like that. And I remember like just thinking like, oh, yeah, okay, like what, whatever. Like, But I also remember, you know, they, they, they racked up a couple wins early, nothing of like of note, but it was like, hold up, this team gave up 54 points or something like that, or 50-plus points, it seemed like, to LaTeX in a game – where Manziel went off, but he had like he had to go off. Then he got completely shut down by LSU. So it was just kind of like, eh, you know, like I, I just didn't really think much of it. Like, and to be fair, I was peak level a hole Bama fan at this point, so I wasn't concerned <laughs> with a lot of other teams. Like, I mean, just being honest. But like, I don't remember. I remember, I, I, and at the time, I was like living with a Missouri fan, but my buddy Jeff, who like, you know, I, I just remember being a lot more. 
I guess, like, preoccupied with them as a newcomer versus... With their new, yeah. new, new status in the SEC. So. Why they were much better than we thought they'd be. The obvious answer to this question is Manziel, of course. Yeah. Um, as we said with 2010 Auburn, when you have a quarterback who is way, way, way better than what you thought, it helps you a lot. Obviously, as we've talked about, and it just meant more, the Alabama game was when it took on a new life. But easy to forget that before that, Manziel was on pace to break the SEC yardage record as well. It comes down to this for me. Someone in Kingsbury, they just knew what they were doing. And that combination yeah. with Manziel was awesome. And so you go back and you're trying to figure out, well, were we just not giving this team enough love? Like, what was going on? That AM offense had eight returning starters. Not among that group was Manziel or Mike Evans. That's crazy. Like, so think about that. Yeah, we probably should have seen that coming then. <laughs> right? I mean, it's easy now to look back yeah. and go, oh my gosh. You add that to all those, you know, offensive, you know, especially the the skill players that they had with your boy Ryan Swope and Kristen Michael. I hate you so much. <laughs> Let's also not forget, too, that the defense with Mark Snyder, I know it was a problem in 2013, but in 2012, they did a lot of things in some key spots that really fueled them finishing in that top five. You had the moments like the Bama game where they show up ready to go, the the move to have Spencer Neely on nose tackle to be able to line up against Barrett Jones, who he just humiliated that day. It Wait, was what? a disaster. What are, right what are you doing this for? We're, t- we're talking about Mark Snyder, the defensive coordinator for AM, who, oh yes, things didn't end well necessarily for him, but you can go back, to, go back to the Cotton Bowl, what he did against Landry Jones and that defense. That defense was ready to go in some key spots. Not the most consistent unit, but did enough for a team that, let's be honest, we knew that they were going to put up points. You just needed this. It was a little bit bend, don't break to a certain extent, yeah. but they would have moments like that where you're just like, oh. A&M can, A&M can do some things. So, but here's also, here's the thing with that. We did not know that they were going to put up some points. And I think, and this exactly. is, this is yeah. one thing I think that they kind of, this, this is, a, this hurt Missouri so much more than it, and it, like maybe it hurt Missouri as much as it helped A&M, but like there was this very real perception. And I say real and perception in the same sentence because it's like, we, I watched, personally, I watched Mizzou have several good teams in, and several good offenses and quarterbacks and, and these like these very prolific uh, offenses with good players that just kind of flew under the radar. But the SEC, you know, that whole beat in your chest, SEC fandom was like, yeah, that, that ain't going to fly here. We play defense. And he had the whole. Because this is peak SEC time. Yes, too. it like, is. In the midst of this national title streak of yes. seven consecutive national titles. That's and and it didn't end until the end of the season when, I will say it again, at least five teams from this conference could have beaten Notre Dame. But. That being said, I remember like the whole beating of the chest thing and, and having this like, you know, like like the grown man football thing from Georgia beating Mizzou early on. And you guys have heard me say a thousand times why I think Mizzou struggled so much their first year, missing their top six offensive linemen and literally losing their entire offensive line in the preseason. But A&M and, and Missouri were kind of lumped in this whole thing. Like they play, play only play offense in the Big 12. They don't play defense. They don't play defense like here. Mm-hmm. And that was very true for what was happening to Missouri. Missouri was getting blown out by teams. In their, their first year, they were losing games by an average of 19 points per game in the SEC. All six of their losses in SEC teams were by an average of 19 points, almost three scores a game. Like, they were getting blown out. A&M, I think people kind of lumped them in with Missouri because they were also from the Big 12, and we just didn't know anything about them. So they were all offense. And you look at that, that Louisiana Tech game that I brought up. It was 59-57 to 57 was the final score. It's hard 
halfway through the season to still not even ha- to still not have that as your or not still have that. That's how sentences work. Not still have that. <laughs> you gotta just be so frustrated listening to me speak words sometimes. So I enjoy it. So, but you have you have like this this whole mindset of like, well, they don't play defense. There's a way to stop them. You just have to stop them because we play defense here, and that wasn't really the case. And I think it took SEC fans kind of a minute to realize that these guys were for real. And I know that there have been teams that have run the air raid offense in the SEC. That was something that Kentucky was doing back in the day. But AM and the way that it did it with Kevin Sumlin. Just a little bit different, a little bit different, and it took some some adjusting and you know this this hurry up offense and we hadn't even seen head coach Gus Malzahn doing this yet. Right. Keep in mind that in 2012, this is before he even got his head coaching gig. So there are just certain things about this AM team that you're just like, oh, all right, this this isn't how we thought it was going to go no. with them. You're one in the SEC. We didn't expect them to come in here and all of a sudden have this historic season. Like that's all right. That that takes. That, that, that definitely changes things for how we view them. They they had over 600 yards of offense, which I know from some people, especially on Twitter, they do not like this statistic at all in yards per game. However, they had over 600 yards of offense in over half their games. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Other new team to the SEC, 2013 Mizzou. This is year two in the SEC why people thought, or why we rather thought that they would be good? Well, because they weren't good in year one in the SEC. Now this is a five and seven team, and two and six in the SEC. And the easiest narrative in the world to form with this team is they just can't handle the SEC right. grown man football. And what we didn't look at at the time was, you know. This Mizzou team dealt with a rash of injuries in 2012. You already talked about the offensive line, how banged up they were. James Franklin had a banged up shoulder all year. Henry Josie had the massive oh. knee injury. We were basically like needed an entirely new knee. Yeah. And so they're without their their thousand yard tailback. You had the SEC's work, worst ranked recruiting class in 2013. I mean, understandably so. Why would a team that just went two and six in the SEC be picked to win the division or anything like that? They were picked to finish sixth in the East, and they only had one guy, EJ Gaines, who did a tremendous job on Mike Evans in that 2013 game. Mm-hmm. EJ Gaines was their only guy on one of the three all SEC teams. That's what everybody was saying about Mizzou coming into this year from a national perspective and being like, you know what? Six and six, maybe. That's yeah. That's probably the, that's probably what Mizzou's going to look like in the SEC. Yeah, I um, I'm looking at it right now. They were predicted to finish sixth in the division. As I just said, yeah, yeah, way behind Tennessee, way behind Tennessee. Oh yeah, and and so and they were picked basically. They were picked. They had two less votes than Auburn overall. Like than what they had to finish like in the West Division. Basically, they were finished. They were predicted to finish like eleventh out of fourteen teams. Yeah, that's real bad. Real bad. We're really bad bad at our jobs. So why were they much? Say that again. I said we're really bad at our jobs sometimes. Not me. I was a bartender, and I I cannot Ah. emphasize enough that you know I I I said Missouri's going to beat Georgia. So let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Why was 2013 Mizzou uh, much better than we thought they'd be? We've talked about this before on Interest Meant More. We, we vastly underrated the foundation that Gary Pinkle had built. Mm-hmm. 
we overlooked the fact that this is a guy who had eight plus wins in the six seasons before that dud in 2012. He had averaged 9.3 wins per year during that stretch. He had my guy, Craig Kuligowski, a.k.a. Coach Cool, on that defensive line, coaching up all of that talent that went to the NFL. And that was that was kind of what their foundation, especially on the defensive side, was built yeah. on. But, you know, because everybody knows about Michael Sam and, and Coney Ely were, were studs that year. This is a Mizzou defense that, yeah, they might not necessarily have suffocated you in the same way that we were used to seeing an Alabama defense right. do, but they did it in a different way. They always got into the backfield. They led the SEC in, in tackles for loss. This was a team that just got pressure on the ball carrier. That is what they did at an extraordinarily high level, and sometimes it, it hurt them. But for the most part, it was a really, really good formula to make this thing go. And <laughs> offensively, getting James Franklin and Henry Josie back was, was huge. Getting yeah. them back and healthy, even though, yes, James Franklin missed a month, but you had Maddie Mock come in and, as we talked about earlier, fill in very admirably during that month and you know do well with an offensive line that wasn't banged up like it was in 2012. Amazing to think that this Mizzou team in 2013 was a missed 27-yard field goal off the uprights against South Carolina from an unbeaten regular season. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's that's amazing. Uh, just unreal to think about that when sixth in the division in the preseason. Sixth. Gosh. Anyway, go on. You're, you're locked in right now. I, I am. I'm so, gonna, I'm so pumped because we're hitting. Your we're eyes are lit up, and I your eyes are lit up, and I thought you were getting ready for a big Marler rant about overlooking this Mizzou team. I'm going to save so, it. All you said was, yeah. I'm going to save it. For the end. Okay. I'll All say right, that. That's fine. Let's move on. Same same year. Their SEC championship foe, 2013 Auburn. Why people, us, thought they wouldn't be good. I was a bartender. <laughs> Why I thought they wouldn't be any good. Uh, most teams who go 0-12 in the SEC the previous year, not exactly building up the preseason Wait, hype train. 0-8, right? 0 and 8. Did I say 0 yeah, and 7? Yeah. I meant 0 and 8. You said 0 and 12. <laughs> oh, 0 and 12. No, 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 no. 3 and 9. 3 and 9. My bad. Whoops. No, put salt on it. Let it hurt. I, you know what? I, I saw 0 and 8 in 2012. That's okay. uh, brain does things. Worst season in 60 years. Our guy, Gene Chizik, fired at season's end. Gus Malzahn takes over after one year as a head coach at Arkansas State, but a little bit, and I know Auburn fans were excited about him, but from a national perspective, you could look at Gus and say, well, this is somebody who's eight years removed from being a high school coach. Yeah. And that was something that was a bit of a, a punchline used against him with some of his struggles during more so like 2015, 2016 type stuff. Right. You had also in the SEC, Bama's going for a three-peat fourth title in five years. LSU preseason number 12, AM preseason number seven with Manziel coming off his Heisman year. South Carolina preseason number six with the encore of Jadavian Clowney. I mean, you had Aaron Murray back at Georgia preseason number five. Like this, this offseason, as we talked about so much, was bananas yeah. in the SEC. This is a, a conference like we have, like we have. This is bananas, up. right? <laughs> It is. So Auburn's picked to finish fifth in the West. And Jason Kirk, SB Nation, does great work. Had Auburn picked to finish seventh in the division. Not totally crazy when you consider yeah. what Auburn had done in the previous year. Who would look at that Auburn team with all the things I just mentioned with what the SEC had going at the top? Top 
15, top 12 teams in the country, who would look at Auburn and say, yep, that's the team that's going to emerge from all of that? Right. Nobody. Okay. Why they were better than we thought they'd be. We have talked about this with Chiswick. The foundation that Auburn had was better than we thought. Jeff Whitaker, who was there for the 2012 and 2013 teams, said, you just don't rebuild in one year. The discipline that we had from that 2012 team was probably lost in the shuffle when you go 0-8 in SEC play, understandably so. But that was a team that knew what, what, what it was doing, and it was not a dumpster fire that Gus Malzahn had inherited. So you have that. You have Trey Mason back on the offensive side of the ball as well. Auburn needed the right offense, and it needed the right quarterback, and that's exactly what it got. And Nick Marshall, as we still say, such a perfect fit for Gus Malzahn's offense, and that was huge for that team. Absolutely huge. Yeah. And they had a little bit of a flair for the dramatics. Oh, my God. As we Why are you doing this to me? Found out. Um, we don't need to talk about prayer, Jordan Hare. No, we don't. Kick six. We've said it enough. Um, Six and one in one score games in 2013, which I'm guessing you already knew. You already knew that, right? I had buried that deep down in my dark black. But heart. you knew it. But yeah, it's fine. I knew it. Let's but go. you knew it. Let's go. Um, okay. All right. You, you don't have any. Any. You don't want to talk anything 2013 Auburn. I got a pee. No, I have a lot to say about 2013 Auburn. Why do you always have to? Well, okay. Here's a question. How do you go an hour in the day without pee? No, I don't think so. You ever watch New Girl and he was like, "I got a prostate yes. the size of an avocado." I don't think that's what it is, but was what's it with you and avocados? <laughs> yeah, but no, it was, it was the old guy talking to Schmidt or Schmidt. He's like, "Why are you always talking about avocados?" That was my Schmidt. It was really bad. Um, no, so I'm gonna save what I have to say for Auburn at the very end. Okay. Do you think, I'll, right. do you think I'll be able to move hold on it? to this? We... You're gonna be able to hold it. You're right, let's be go. Fine. I'll You're hold grown, it. Grown man. Goodness, don't rush me. <laughs> hold tight, hold. Tw- I don't know. 2018 Florida. Not the first team that I would think of when it comes to this, but worth bringing up because they fit the criteria. Mm -hmm. Why people thought they wouldn't be good. Why we thought they wouldn't be good. You're one of the Dan Mullen era. Uh, Felipe strength. Yeah, you you were working for SDS. (laughs) You counted this. (laughs) Felipe had obviously struggled a lot under Jim McElwain. Um, Florida's 2017 season, dumpster fire, Mm -hmm. four-win season. Uh, But Florida was essentially number 27 in both polls to start this year. And I remember thinking that there was too much hype for Florida, despite the fact that they had 19 starters returning from that team. I remember also when Brian Jones, CBS Sports, picked Florida to make the playoff. And yeah. it was big headline for us, I remember. There were people that are like, what in the world is he talking about? But that Florida team had at least some sort of that sleeper buzz. Four first place votes in the East, got two votes to win the conference. Picked to finish third in the division behind that South Carolina team that was very, very disappointing in 2018. Um, I hated, more than anything, the fact that they got into the AP poll in week two before that game against Kentucky after beating Charleston Southern, an FCS team. Oh, yeah. When Florida had lost six straight games to Power 5 competition going into that Kentucky game. Like, let's just put them at number 25. I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world because you should actually have to earn it and not just be a four-win team who people are like, oh, hey, they've had some good recruiting classes. Obviously, here's here's my... Florida had good recruiting classes with McAway. Not not elite, incredible, you know, top five recruiting classes, but good recruiting classes. 
So obviously, and then Kentucky made it seven straight games that Florida lost to Power Five competition, but they bounced back. Obviously, incredibly so. And why they were better than we thought they'd be? A team that won a New Year's Six Bowl in convincing fashion, a team that won ten games that year. Part of this was Mullen, obviously, right. and putting him in the right spots, putting Felipe Franks in the right spots, rather, and being able to actually maximize that offensive skill talent that went totally to waste in 2017. And part of it being the defense was built really well for Todd Grantham's style. Right. Had a lot of good established edge rushers, guys who you didn't necessarily need to show the ropes to, not a bunch of freshmen and sophomores with massive turnover at that position. And you could just say, you know what? We're, we're deep. We're, we're going to be able to, to do exactly what we want. Saw that in big wins against teams like LSU and even that win on the road at Mississippi State. People forget about that, but a very big win for that Florida team. They finished number seven in the AP poll. Felipe found his groove in Dan Mullen's offense down the stretch and was much better after he had the benching and then Kyle Trask breaking his foot and him being allowed to keep his job. Yeah, We, just, we saw what this defense could do when it finally had a breather, which it didn't in 2017. And I thought that defense should have been much better. So I bring up Florida because it fits the criteria, but obviously it is not one of the first teams that comes to mind. Do you actually have a comment about one of these teams or no? So I thought 2018 LSU should have been on this list, and I should have said that a long time ago, but I'm not going to. Um, or I didn't, okay. I mean. Um, I thought 2018 LSU was, I, th- I think our producer Will was like, well, you could say 2000, I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it in a voice so he sounds stupid. You say 2019 LSU, which is dumb and stupid, Will. 2018 LSU was a team where you look at, I think it's like not similar to Florida in terms of their coach being on the hot seat because he wasn't, but it was like we didn't really think no, they would have uh, expectations. Coach O was on the hot seat in 2018. Yeah, but I'm saying Mullen wasn't. Florida, Florida. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, gotcha. But they're, uh, uh, yeah. they're similar My in bad. terms of the fact that both of those teams got to 10 wins. And both of those teams mm-hmm. got into a New Year's Six Bowl and exceeded expectations way more than we thought they would. And for whatever reason, even now, and maybe this is like something that's like a recency bias where we're, we're, too, we're not far enough removed from it, but people are like, or maybe they didn't accomplish enough, I don't know. But it's weird to think how good those teams were, both finished in the top 10, and they still get so little respect in comparison. L- LSU makes sense because their arch rival went to the national championship game and, and beat them. And then, you know, I, I get all that. But with Florida, it's kind of weird that we don't give them more credit for what they did in year one of a brand new coach. That's all. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly I mean, fair. I mean, fair. Orgeron went to from being, like, and people, people forget this, but like outside of this podcast, and I don't care how this sounds, I'll, be, I'll pat ourselves on the back. Outside of this podcast, I don't remember anybody saying LSU is going to win 10 games. I don't remember anyone saying that LSU is like. I'm not trying to say it in an arrogant way. It was just like the landscape of college football at the time, and 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 people covering it, and the media covering it. Nobody, I, there were people who thought he was gonna be out after game two. Like he's gonna lose to Miami. He might lose. I don't even know who they played after that. Like so, it just it's. I think that team, like you look at where we thought they were gonna be the start of two years ago versus where that program is now, especially. True. No, that's, all that's I have true. To say. I think. Th- I think they started. I think they started at twenty-five in the AP poll. Yeah, they started ranked in the AP poll. And Miami was so like eighth. Yeah, which was yep. in hindsight ridiculous, oh but a, a good example and a, a good team to yeah that that would get this probably discussed, but not number one of the most of the playoff era. They're they're one of the most surprising teams. I think that's yeah. you could definitely say that. The worst take that you can have about this debate, I'll I'll breeze right through this one. It's all. Um, <laughs> 
I knew this team would be good. Yeah. As I said when we were talking about disappointing teams, I don't care what Jeff from Tupelo, Mississippi thinks. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is about consensus opinion. This is about what the experts are saying. And if that one Ooh. person thought that this team was going to be good, all right. Hey, cool, brother, I told y'all. I told everybody before the start of the year, I said it, and none of y'all listened to me. And y'all the ones got this job, and y'all think you know so much. I'll say it. I'll say it right now, Connor. I'm going to do, I'm gonna do the girl? rest of the podcast. No, it's just my southern accent. <laughs> I'm going to do the rest of the podcast like this. Hail, brother. <laughs> it's different, too, to also to say I knew this team would be good versus we should have known this team would be good. Yeah. Two different things. Two different things. Um, and even if a team is labeled as a surprise team, we're still talking about what majority opinion yeah. was saying about a team going into the year. The thing that I didn't know slash forgot about until researching this I know we've done a lot of AM. We have done three Manziel games on it just before. But I still forgot how down people were on AM going into 2012. And it brought up the reasons earlier. And it, it makes sense. But I think those reasons totally overlooked a few things here. Yeah. We overlooked the fact that Kevin Sumlin is coming off a, an undefeated regular season at Houston. Think about how much hype Tom Herman was getting going into his time at Texas, and we weren't quite talking about Kevin Sumlin in the same way in college There's football. probably a reason for that, but we're not going to get into it today. Probably a reason for that. Probably a reason for that. Meanwhile, uh, Case Keenum set like nine NCAA passing records that year and was incredibly good. And the offense with Cliff Kingsbury as yeah. his offensive coordinator looked like it was very, very promising. And it's amazing to think that they were picked to finish in the West because – that team in 2012 or in 2011 with Tannehill, yeah, they had a lot of talent. They came into that year number eight in the country, and that was a team that the only Tannehill was the only non-kicker from that A&M team taken in the first five rounds, and they returned so much talent, especially in the trenches. And I don't care who they were starting a quarterback if Manziel was the the biggest surprise of the SEC in the 21st century or not. They weren't going to get pushed around up front. They, they were not. They were too good up front with guys like Luke Jokel and Jake Matthews. And they had talent on that defensive line as well, where I think we just totally overlooked that. And we overlooked also the fact that what if AM had been a nine-win team coming into the SEC instead of a seven-win team? Because five of their six losses the previous year came by seven points or less. So perception with AM, yeah. a few things spoke louder than others. And I'm not saying that we totally that's should have seen that coming. That's such a good stat, man. Like that, that like Isn't that I think amazing? I think Phil Steele always does that in uh, his one of his. I'm trying to look through it right now. One of his 87,000 pages of information <laughs> in his magazines. But um, it's one of those stats he gives. It's like like the biggest difference, or like or plus or minus or something like that from the year before. And I never really thought about that. But like you look at a team like South Carolina two years ago and how many close yeah. wins they had, and then. You know, 2017, they always won close games. Right. So I, I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. I, I I will say the expectation of them coming in with nine wins versus seven wins, it would have been, I think, in my opinion, it would have been even just louder ignorance from the SEC fans. It just mm. would have been like, oh, it don't matter. I mean, nine wins in the Big Twelve, brother. That's like six wins in the SEC. Come on now. Oh, sad. Four. <laughs> you got you got to you got to do division, long division. There's a whole <laughs> quadratic equation. <laughs> All right, so, Marler. So dumb. Where do you stand on this whole thing? Okay, so we've done so much talking about Auburn, and I'm over it. I want everyone to understand that. Okay? No, you're not. Uh, no, I definitely am. Um, that is not a joke. 
2010 for me was surprising because I was very, what's the best word, confused at what I thought was going to happen versus what happened. Now, that being said, when I first started doing this and trying to count it up, um, I, I had one team picked and I have a, I wanted to pick two teams instead. Okay. Um, we have time. I wanted to, I wanted to do six teams. I want to rank them and I want to talk about them each for 15 minutes in my own little separate. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna do that. I gotta pee. But I was gonna say that seems uh, a <laughs> Chris, you could have said all of that. There. Could have said all of that earlier. So, um, no. I, so I wanted to do two teams, and and I and I mainly wanted to do two teams because one of these teams I've said time and time again on this podcast does not get enough credit for how good of a program they are, and that is Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. gonna say one A, one B. Auburn and Missouri, both from 2013, are the two most surprising teams in the history of this conference. Now, when I first was looking at this, one 21st of the, century. Whatever, dude. I don't. I don't understand centuries. <laughs> centuries. <laughs> I did not take my medicine today. Never again. <laughs> Never again. So anyway, so oh man, sorry guys. Anyway, listen. So here's the deal. Focus, Chris. Um, hold on. Okay, so 2013. 2013. Missouri comes off this. Uh, season where I, I, they were five and seven, right? Now you talked about like what we forgot when we were researching this. I forgot they were only five and seven. That 2012 team that lost all six of their top six offensive linemen, lost all five starters, had all these different injuries. This really terrible start to their SEC careers um, as a program. That was awful. I also forgot that Auburn was 0 and 8 in 2012 and so my criteria was the improvement from the year before to this year and where the media had them picked because y'all this is crazy and i shouldn't do it and people told me this on twitter all the time but i put way too much stock in what the media says okay so 2013 sec media days i'm looking through it right now and it says the preseason the preseason sec media predictions okay and we talked about this a little bit earlier auburn was uh, picked to finish fifth Right in the SC West, Missouri was picked to finish sixth. Sixth. That's the third time we've. Said I know, this. but think about that. Sixth. We have several other teams in this episode where we talked about that were not predicted to finish lower than fifth. They were predicted to finish sixth. That is so bad. That's so far off. The other big part of this, and this is this, I I, I bring this up earlier. I brought this up earlier. They lost six games the year before in SEC play. They were two and six in, in SEC play. And Missouri traditionally doesn't play a very strong out-of-conference schedule. I think this year they played Syracuse and, and Arizona State, in 2012 at least. But those six losses to SEC teams, they lost by 19 points per game. Okay, There weren't that many mm-hmm. close games. There was one four-point loss to somebody, and they lost to Florida by seven. And Florida at the time was ranked number eight in the country. So I say all that, and then I look at this Auburn team, that I like, I, I wasn't gonna pick at first. And you think about going 0 and 8. Think about going 0 and 8, two years removed from a national championship, firing your coach, having somebody come in that has one season as a head coach at the collegiate level at Arkansas State, and other than that is a is a high school football coach with draw it up in the dirt plays and all this other stuff. And you're going into the toughest division in all of college football. That's Auburn. Auburn lost all eight games in 2012. Do you know how many points? total they lost those games by connor an average of 30 24 an average of they lost they lost by 191 combined points it's so for me that says a lot as well 
But where I really was blown away about how awful the media was in terms of these predictions, you look at the preseason predictions from 2013 SEC Media Days. And if one of the laziest things, and I, I, I really do too much of a deep dive every year we have to do this for Media Days, of trying to figure out who I'm going to pick as my preseason All-SEC team. And it's hard to know who's going to have a, a breakout year and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But you look at the laziness from some of these predictions, it's just Bama everywhere. It's just Bama everywhere. And in and, and, and the preseason, after SEC Media Days, Missouri and Auburn combined had a total of two players make the, the offensive preseason offensive SEC or all-SEC offensive player. Uh, God dang it, Connor. Finish my sentence. And it was one player. They're all-SEC teams. There it yeah. is for offense. It was set, one player on second team and one player on third team. Auburn and Missouri combined on the all-SEC defensive teams for the preseason had three. Okay? They had one player on second team and then two on third team. They weren't even getting players that were getting love. And by the end of the season, you have a combined six on offense, a combined six on defense, including the SEC Defensive Player of the Year and Michael Sam, who, by the way, didn't even make a preseason list at all for his own conference. You have a team that finished in the top 20 nationally in total defense that is just littered with stars, with EJ Gaines and Shane Ray and Michael Sam and all these other players. It's hard not to like. It's hard not to say one versus the other because they end up meeting on this collision course in Atlanta. So my pick, mm-hmm. I, if if I had to, if gun to the head, I had to pick one. It would be Auburn. It really would be Auburn from 2013, just because of how much they had overcome. Again, in the first year of coaching Power Five football, Gus Malzahn takes his team to a national championship. This was the 12th year Gary Pinkle was at Missouri in 2013 or maybe it was the 13th year mm-hmm. so he has a lot more experience so that's i would give the nod to auburn but what i what i again what i want to do i would give it i want to mention both just because one of those programs really really gets a short in the stick a lot of times unfairly from from the fans of this conference well Done. said okay thank you i said a lot so i went <laughs> i went from six down to two okay and i decided between two teams okay i got rid of 2005 Bama so and 2018 Florida because they nearly started off as top 25 teams. Yep. I know. I'm sorry. Um, solid seasons. That's not number one uh, on this list all time. Um, number 20 uh, at number four in my my rankings here. By the way, I wouldn't have had either of those teams I just mentioned at five or six. Like I said, I would have had 2014 Mississippi yeah. State and 2018 Kentucky it's ahead of say. both of those teams. Agreed. Um, 2010 Auburn would be my number four team on this list because while there was the relative unknown of, of, of what Cam was going to do without necessarily this team that was stockpiled with NFL-ready talent and what Chiswick was going to do in year two, I don't immediately think of that group when I hear surprise teams because like, it was surprising that Cam – it wasn't surprising that Cam was good. It was surprising that Cam was that good, yeah, yeah. that he was like transcendently good. Yeah. Um, and you have pe- you still have people like Herb Street in this preseason saying that the sky's the limit yeah. for, for camp. So that, I think, kind of puts them out of this conversation. I'd put 2012 A&M at number three because the Aggies were overlooked, but at least they were still getting top 25 consideration before the start of the year. Um, maybe, maybe a little bit different if we had talked about them winning a national championship, something like that. Um, but I, as we've talked about before, I don't know if there was a better team in the country from the November end of the on. Season. Yeah, yeah. From give them any any team, any time, any place in November, and I think they probably would have been able to win on a neutral site. Five of their last um, six games, they had over 
500 yards of offense, and in four of those last six, they had over 600. Gosh, they were so good. And those, those are games so that were good. going like, like I mean, Oklahoma. And Anyway, go ahead. So, I agree. It comes out the, the, the two teams that, I'm, that I really found myself going back and forth with. We agree. We agree 100% that we would decide this between the two 2013 teams, Mizzou and Auburn. And fitting because obviously they played in the SEC championship. I give the edge to Auburn this for this reason. This is the lamest thing that we do. <laughs> it is so stupid. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My point though was a li- my point though was a little bit different than yours. A little bit different. Not not mu- not just that they won the SEC championship. You know all the words you're trying to say. <laughs> no, I don't. Come on. What makes you think that? <laughs> Think about Mizzou coming off of that season. Mm-hmm. How they were talked about nationally, I think, at least my recollection of this, and if there are Mizzou fans listening, if, if, if Adam Spencer wants to correct me on this, but you, you might be able to, to, give, to also give me some tips on this because, you know, your buddy Jeff, Mizzou fan. Yep. When Mizzou starts winning games this year in 2013, it's a bit of a puffing the chest out, being like, see... I told you that we weren't that's, getting enough respect. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's the difference. Okay. Whereas when Auburn is all of a sudden winning all of these games. Oh, that's a good point, Connor. Their fans are stunned. Everybody's stunned because what in the world would make you think, even if you're the most optimistic Auburn fan on the face of the earth, would make you think that all of those things that are working against you in the SEC, yeah. after you just had an 0-8 year in conference play, would make you think that we're all of a sudden going to be the cream of the crop in this conference, where you watch your two rivals play in a de facto semifinal game in the SEC Championship, Georgia and Alabama. And by the way, those two rivals outscored you 87 to nothing in the previous year. They're bringing their senior quarterbacks back. They're preseason top five guys. Alabama's getting all this buzz to to finish this this three-peat to be the, you know, win fourth title in five years. The gap could not have looked bigger. Yeah. And when those are the two things that you know you have to get past, how in your right mind as an Auburn fan could you be like, see, I told you we weren't getting enough respect. And so well, when we're talking about a team surprising, I, I get it. Yeah. Like there's a certain thing to yeah. every, but like realistically. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And I think Mizzou fans, Mizzou fans knew, all right, we should be able to probably get to maybe eight wins this year. Maybe eight wins in these preseason expectations. Just not, not they're not really getting it. And they're not really understanding kind of what's working in this favor. And they're not willing to look at some of the key points with that we brought up with the injuries. Yeah. Just different as we talk about Auburn. Going, I don't know when the next time we're going to see a team go from winless in conference play to yeah. playing for a national championship. Thank it's an you. amazing thing to think about. It, yeah. It, it took the right set of circumstances because... I don't, I don't know how you can get there without doing exactly like what Auburn did, where you you have this foundation in place where you're better than what an 0-8 conference team would suggest, and when you need a miracle, you get two. At three, really, because if you want to talk about the A&M horse collar. <laughs> well, but, so, but and so also, though, I think that's such, that's such a really unique and really good point you're making. And I said beforehand, GD it that I didn't want to talk about Auburn, and we need to take a break from talking about Auburn because I'm over it. We, this is an Auburn podcast now. But I said to you beforehand, you know, like like your your point of saying, okay, 
like they weren't getting as much love and it was like it was like yeah i told you so it was like a very vindictive thing for um, yeah. or vindicating not vindictive vind vindicating thing for missouri to say like look i told you we were this good i told you we had all these injuries like i mean their entire 2012 season was just me on loop like last year being like you gotta talk about the injuries guys <laughs> and they come back and they win all these games but then they also still lost these two games early auburn didn't do that and, and you look at like that mm -hmm. 2012 team especially like your point that you just made about how there's not there's not a big difference between like you know that that 0 and 8 that or that five and seven game five and seven season the biggest thing that stands out to me about five and seven versus three and nine both are losing seasons both are crappy all that kind of stuff yeah five and seven you're one game from going to a bowl game five five and seven I forgot who it was to but Mizzou lost fifteen to nineteen to somebody in the SEC maybe it was Vandy and then they lost by by seven points to number eight Florida if they eke out one more win they lost to Syracuse at home. They eke out one more win. Yeah. Playing for bowl eligibility against Johnny Mansell before he went to the Heisman. Right. But but there's also these other games that, like, you, you can say, like, oh, they, I mean, they could have won this game. I think they lost to Arizona State at home by four or something like that. It's like, it's like these very mm -hmm. close games. You look at Auburn in 2012. They're three and nine. <laughs> they're two, I remember taking so much joy in the fact that that 2011 team had the worst record of any any like any national champion coming off a national championship season or whatever the year after they had the, the fewest amount of wins out of any team in the history of college football or maybe it was like from some point it was a stat i remember it being a stat because i said it all the time but this 2012 team they beat they beat louisiana monroe they beat new mexico state and they beat alabama a&m alabama a&m is i believe it's an hbcu but i know it's not it's not fbs i know that well i'm pretty sure doring was on the call that game too was and, he uh, he I think that was the first time that he met Chizik. And Which he game? said like Chizik was just the the whatever the, the cupcake week game was for okay, Auburn okay. that okay. year. And like that was the first time he met him and Chizik was really standoffish. Yeah. And like he was I mean he he'd be the first person to tell you that. He was very different with the media yeah. and the public in twenty twelve compared to you yeah. know what he's like, I love he's like now. Yeah. But but I say that so those three wins, they they beat Louisiana Monroe, New Mexico State, and, and Alabama A and M, and they they boat raced New Mexico State and Alabama and Alabama A and M, but they beat Louisiana Monroe thirty one to twenty eight. Like it was a very close game, and I and I think the biggest difference you talk about you talk about your two biggest rivals, and one thing that we can see with Auburn differently than we see with, and why it's probably more of a surprise, and they're able to fly under the radar a little bit more than a team like Missouri was in twenty thirteen is Missouri's first big win was that win against Georgia in Athens in October, the mm -hmm. same day that Auburn beat beat A and M. I remember, I remember watching both those games at Whitehall Tavern, a stone from where I'm at, like physically right now, and being like, "Eh, who cares about Auburn? Like they should have lost. Who cares?" Mizzou, what a program-changing win! <laughs> like what? It, like it's this whole yeah. different turn. You know what I mean? And so, and you look at it, 2012. Th this is how they ended the season against their two rivals. They lost 38 nothing to Georgia, and they lost 49 nothing to Alabama. And the following season, they beat two of them in these huge, incredible wins. So it's yeah, they, I know. It's, I'm just saying. I was agreeing with you. I, you know what? We're done here. I got to pee. But <laughs> but no, I, I think that's a really outstanding point, Connor. I really do. And I hate to say that about you. Um, but no, it's just really good. We got to stop agreeing, bro. I know. We, we've disagreed on, on some of these in, in recent memory, at least. We, we disagreed, disagreed on, on Rocky the... Road ice cream, and I'm pretty sure that's it in 2020. It's, it's obnoxious. Oh, Rocky Road is so <laughs> overrated. The fact that it's so mainstream... Why would anybody want marshmallows in their ice cream? I just don't get it. I, I think marshmallows it. in general are overrated. I don't like the consistency. I don't like how they touch your hands. Yeah. We're give agreeing me, on that too. A, give what, me I mean, some like, more. I want to drive. Give me some more on a July night.
Say it again. I said I want to drive on the left side of the road. You agree with that? That's what I thought, bro. Hard pass. Hard pass. No. No. As somebody who's been to Europe, I can confirm. Nope, not that fun. No. All right. Let's close out. We have, I don't know what we're doing for just a bit more just yet. We are definitely, 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 definitely not doing a game involving. Let's do Manziel and Auburn. Let's, <laughs> yeah. That's that would be the, the epitome of the game that we should not do right now. Let's do viewers' um, choice. Let's let the let's let the group pick it. Whatever they, they get, twenty four hours to vote, and whoever has the most votes for one game, maybe we can come up with four. Here's what we should do. Instead of that, <laughs> perfect. Along those lines. Yeah. Along those lines. Maybe we do. Okay, so if you're in the SDS podcast Facebook group, thank you. By the way, yep. um, you should definitely go join that. We're gonna post this. And the comment that gets the most likes. Ooh, okay. How about that? I like that. How about that instead of just picking a specific game? So there, therefore, it forces you to come up with maybe a little bit of a reason why we should do this specific game. Yeah. And if people are like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm in. I'm on, I'm on board with that. Then then we're all good. But that'll be the way that we decide our next adjustment more. Oh, so like hopefully, it. if we get that up, that's up, and people can vote on that now and we will uh we'll have that ready to go we'll decide that by like, two days from now. Love it. yep all right that's all the right. end of it go pee, it um, just pees more talk to you guys soon